0: Hi everybody, and welcome to the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies to make a difference in the social impact world. My name is Carisha Martinez, one of the digital advertising whalers here at Whole Whale, and your host for today's show. Thanks for listening. Today on the pod, we have Cami Hawkins, CEO of Marathon Kids. Cami, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great. Carisha, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I think we have a really interesting podcast today um, to talk about your organization and how you've been really flexible um, with your staff and employees in terms of in-person working, the kind of workload that they have, all as it relates to the pandemic, which is on everybody's minds these days. So can you tell me a little bit more about your organization, Marathon Kids, and how you've changed and adapted your organization's environment to adapt to the remote working environment?
1: Sure. So, Marathon Kids um, is a national nonprofit. We've actually been around for 25 years. We were started in 1995. And we're all about um, getting kids active and moving and really showing them through running that they can achieve anything that they put their mind to. And so, it started, um, like I said, organically in Austin um, in 1995. I think in the first year, they had about 2,000 kids that participated And this year, even in the pandemic year, we're hoping to have somewhere upwards of 200,000 kids participate in Marathon Kids. So our kids set out to run the equivalent of four marathons over the course of a school year. A little bit at a time, setting that big goal, but then taking it in little steps, one lap at a time until they reach those objectives.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that context. Um, definitely yeah. an organization that I've heard of and seems pretty familiar. Um, and I love that uh, that idea of taking everything one step at a time, right? Little increments, especially when you hear running four marathons and it's like, wow, like that's a lot. How can I possibly do that? Um, so that sounds really great. And can you talk a little bit more about the organization's environment, um, especially it relates to remote working or anything like that?
1: Yes, I'd love to. So Marathon Kids, the staff is relatively small. So we really are a staff only of 10 people. Wow. Um, and so most of our um, coaches and uh, volunteers are the ones who are actually interacting directly with the kids. So Marathon Kids has had a pretty flexible work environment for several years, for as many years as I've been on board. So I joined in 2017. And I've always believed in allowing for flexible work schedules. And especially, you know, when the work doesn't require specific times for a person to get a certain thing done. And so we were pretty well prepared when the pandemic happened to move into a fully remote environment, because we had already kind of embraced that for not only just specific employees but just for people throughout their workday or throughout their work week if they needed flexibility or to work remotely we used to allow to do that them to do that anyway mm-hmm. so moving into that fully remote environment obviously like everyone else i think we did have some some early struggles in how to make that work the best for everyone but again because we had already kind of embraced it I think we were better prepared. Um, I would say probably the biggest thing was um, trying to respect everyone's time and not filling up all the time with meetings and hangouts, um, you know, one right after another after another. So that was probably the biggest hurdle we faced.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, because I do think that's kind of a syndrome of remote working, right? You feel like you need to have more meetings, more time on screen, more like hangouts, we call them BOCs here at Whole Whale, just to kind of fill in that time of where culture and relationships are really developed. Um, So do you think that limiting that screen time or those kind of hangout sessions has uh, negatively affected your company culture, organization culture in, in any way? Or have you found other ways to kind of
1: supplement that? So I would say the latter. We definitely have found other ways to supplement that. I mean, it got to a point where we actually dedicated two days as what we called non-meeting days. Mm -hmm. Not that you couldn't have meetings if you needed to, but that everyone would just kind of respect that as people's time to really be head down and get some work done without having to feel like they had to fill those days up. And then what we did was we tried to create, um, and I know it's hard in this world, but um, some social time. So we had a staff happy hour um, every other week at the end of the day that no work. We would just come on and visit with folks and, you know, see how everyone was doing and, you know, just try to make it more fun and social rather than work focused.
0: Yeah, I love that. Hoyle also has our own happy hours. I'm curious what you guys do during it, just for my own personal
1: knowledge. <laughs> so we, I mean, typically, you know, it's fun to see what um, what people are doing. Like um, we've had people come up with creative cocktails that they mm-hmm. might be having and share recipes. Um, we always kind of have a little round table. We have lots of people with pets. And so that's a time where we get to see We get to see the pets and kind of what they're doing, Um, you know, just different stuff like that. And we've even had some fun games and things. Our development officer is very creative. And Mm. so she's brought some fun, um, you know, like icebreakers and trivia, what you might not know about me kind of questions. So that's been kind of fun.
0: Yeah, I love that. Hoel is always looking for a new happy hour idea. (laughs) So I'll definitely be taking those into 2021. Um, And hopefully organizations listening can too. Um, Awesome. So yeah, that all sounds really good. And I do like the idea of that. heads down time. I think oftentimes, especially in remote work, you kind of feel like, like I mentioned earlier, you have to be on screen all the time. And you feel like if I'm just kind of not talking to anybody really on do not disturb, will people think that I'm doing work? Will people think that I'm being productive? Um, so really having that time, one, dedicated to doing that hands-on work, and then two, also trusting your employees as a CEO to do the work that's kind of necessary for them to do their job.
1: Yeah, I think that you're exactly spot on. And that was something that we, um, you know, again, because we were pretty set up to already move to that environment, we felt good about, you know, what people were doing. But you do get that um, kind of that limited view into the work. Like, you know, what all is getting done in a day or a week um, versus what you see when you're like in the office and constantly chatting with folks about different projects and where they are, where they might be, or even what help they might need. Um, so we've, we've implemented a few technologies that have allowed us to kind of um, manage projects and be better mm-hmm. connected. Um, we're still learning on some of these and, and getting better all the time. But just to kind of open up that line of sight into the work without having to have a call or a hangout or a meeting to get, keep everybody up to speed.
0: Yeah, I'm. You kind of read my mind with the technologies. I'm interested. What systems you have in place to kind of allow for more transparency, especially um, since we're not all in the office,
1: right? So we we use Google. So we're all. We've got lots of different chat rooms set up so that people can um, kind of access those in a way that makes sense, so that you can kind of prioritize. So we we ended up separating out some different chat rooms mm-hmm. so that people would understand that they didn't need to immediately either look at a chat or even respond to a chat. So we have like a, a good reads section where we we put all of our articles. We have kind of a kids and pets kind of mm. fun. Um, you know, section we have a collapse and snap so that we can help recognize kind of those successes that are, again are a little bit harder to see when we're in this remote environment. And then we have our teams, you know, rooms, and then our individual rooms. So then you really know kind of the priority of of, of if you need to go in and read a chat and respond to a chat. And then secondly, we've kind of embraced um, the Asana project management technology um again a lot of us are still uh, you know learning it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks um so i'm probably the worst but um But yeah, the teams have really been embracing Asana and making it into what they need for their work. So even within like our programs team versus our development team, you know, they're using the Asana um, software a little bit differently um, to make sure that they're keeping on task. And particularly When there's those different dependencies that you need different departments to be a part of or sign off on, you know, marketing and communications or whatever it might be, it's been a really useful tool for us this year.
2: And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO, content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, we really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university.
0: Yeah, definitely. We at Howell love Asana. Like it is our holy grail. Like we use it all the time. Um, And for a lot of different reasons. I think one is really great for uh, time management. Um, I think if you use Asana, you can see like that estimated time. So when it's something is tasked to you or you task it to yourself, um, either your manager or yourself can see, okay. This task is only supposed to take two hours. If I'm taking four hours on this one task, um, then maybe something is a little wrong and maybe I can realign somewhere. Um, and then also on those dependencies, right? Like if you're waiting for someone to review a task or maybe sign off mm-hmm. on something, you can see the exact moment um, when that task is finished and can really move things along um, without, you know, having to email
1: somebody over and over again. Right. Right. No, I think it's great. And we also love that. Um, we love all the little icons and the little completed yes. tasks and kind of <laughs> celebrating. And, you know, so it brings some fun into it, too. It's like, you know, it's like it gamifies it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love that. I don't even know what kind of animal it is. Maybe it's like a goat sheep kind of mix. Um, he kind of flies. <laughs> well, we like the flying unicorn when you, you know yeah. the
1: flies across the sky.
0: <laughs> if you're not using Asana, you're missing out. <laughs> Um, awesome. I do want to shift gears a little bit. I know earlier on you mentioned, um, talking about flexible working, um, especially within your organization. Um, and you kind of mentioned to me off the record about job sharing. So can you explain a little bit more what that is and maybe the pros and cons that you found with it?
1: Sure. So I would say, um, you know, just personally kind of my career in life, I was fortunate to be able to kind of plug in and unplug into different, Um, jobs, you know, kind of as my life changed, marriage, kids, you know, school, you know, bringing the kids up through school. Um, And so I always valued that, you know, um, that organization or that company that saw the value in you as a, as a employee and understood that you might not be able to knock out a 40, 50, 60 hour week, Mm Um, But then really and then also personally just being able to kind of then manage and communicate what that might look like in an environment for, you know, a a halftime or a part time job. So this job sharing idea, um, again, wasn't new to me. And I'd always kind of um, allowed people that I managed to um, to come up with creative solutions to make things work in maybe non-traditional formats. And so one of the first um, times we utilized it in Marathon Kids was we were interviewing for a, um, a marketing director position, chief marketing officer position. And it really was a big role. I mean, huge role in the organization, executive leadership, and a big job when you're in a small nonprofit. And I'm sure many of your listeners probably understand this, you know, particularly in marketing communications, Um, the breadth of work that has to get done is just incredible. And it covers so many different aspects of, you know, social media, print media, just internal communications, external communications, the look and feel of everything, the aesthetic. I mean, it just gets really big. So anyway, we were interviewing for these, this job, and we really found these two candidates that either one of them would have been fantastic. Um but neither one of them were really available for that full, full full-time position. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they actually presented it as a solution to me. They had worked together in a different um, kind of a contract environment previously, and they brought it to me and said, what would you think about something like this? And I thought it was brilliant. And so we divided up the responsibilities um, and were able to make that work, I think for two reasons. First of all, they kind of already came to it naturally from where they had been. But then also, again, just being open to that non-traditional solution and allowing um, lots of communication in what was working, what wasn't working, how to address maybe the needs of that, and, um, and then just always trying to positively get to the right mix for them.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and one of the more interesting points, I think, of this entire podcast, I'm interested in kind of something you mentioned earlier about communication, right? I think oftentimes, especially in executive leadership, you kind of have a lot of people reporting to you or maybe asking you questions or seeing you as a person, um, with authority, right? Because that's what it is. So how do you kind of navigate having two different people that uh, employees can go to? And how do you kind of manage that communication and also expectation for each person, um, both in executive leadership and um, junior staff?
1: Yeah, um, great, great points all. so so definitely from the very beginning, working with those individuals to identify what what the what the division of responsibility is, so that that's very clear. And then also understanding, communicating that outward to the rest of the organization that you know, guys, you know, we're not operating in a vacuum here. It's not, you have to have these two people in the same meeting. You need to understand what the division of responsibility is so that we can manage this in the most efficient and effective way. So that I think was number one, setting that clear um, expectation and division of responsibility and communication up front. And then I think, you know, to me, communication is always a two-way street. Um, I have always been, you know, just a huge um, kind of proponent of, of open communication, open door policies. Pretty much anybody can go to anyone for the answers that they need. And, but to respect kind of those lines hierarchy of, of kind of chain of command things as well. Um, I just also believe, you know, and I've been fortunate to have always kind of worked in um, professional environments. And I just mm-hmm. believe in giving people the autonomy and the respect that they deserve mm-hmm. in whatever job it is, regardless of what the job title is. Um, I just think in a professional environment, people understand that, they respect that. If they see you respecting that, then it just creates an atmosphere where it's more collegial than it is organizational structure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And thank you for that. I think that provides a lot more context to maybe listeners who are a little skeptical of this idea. Um, I'm also wondering, as it relates to kind of having two people, do you think it would have worked if these two people didn't really know each other previously? Or do you think that's something that was pretty unique to the situation? I think it
1: was unique to this situation, but I don't think it has to be unique to a job sharing situation. Now, of course, every, every different job is, is going to be different and, and how you split it is going to be different. Now, there's some job sharing roles that can be very simple, right? That, that the tasks may be kind of exactly the same and one person just hands off and the other person just picks up. And that, that can be unique. This was a little bit different in that we were kind of using the best of both worlds. So both of these um, employees came to the job with different um, experience and expertise. So we were able to kind of capitalize on both of those and use them combined to make kind of even a better, a better, a super employee, if you will. <laughs> Um, but I think also a big thing when you're talking about job sharing that you need to be aware of and not to not to discredit the guys out there, but I feel like females come to the job with this obligation that feels heavier sometimes and that we tend to um, put the job first. And so even though it might be a job sharing responsibility, you will see a tendency that Um, you end up with people working way more than what they really are required to for their job. And I think that as executives and leaders, we need to be very mindful of that because that's a surefire way to burnout and to not creating an environment that is healthy for the organization and for the individuals. So, you know, um, Again, I just think when you're thinking about job sharing, you just need to really kind of dissect the responsibility in the roles. And is it something that's a handoff or is it really more of a shared, you do this, I'll do this, and combined we'll be able to create this.
0: Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point of setting expectations, especially as a part-time employee. I think especially with a very large job, like a chief marketing officer, it can be really easy to just say, oh, I'll just work, you know, like an extra few hours here, an extra few hours there. Um, and if this, these people are people who kind of from the beginning said, I can only really commit to part-time while maybe also working another part-time or even another full-time, it does lead to burnout, right? And then kind of job quality going down over time. Um, so I think that's a really great point that you bring up.
1: Well, and actually, yes, totally. And I mean, just speaking from personal experience, I mean, I've I had some you know half time, three quarter time jobs um, as I was in that you know raising kids kind of mode, mm-hmm. and um, you know we all are very um, you know we want to do a good job and we want to put forth our best effort and. Let's face it, at the end of the day, there's always more work to do, Um, you know, so so you have to really, again, it goes back to that communication, really having those checks and balances to understand, um, is this really filling up? two full time jobs and not a job sharing role recognizing that as an organization talking about how how those things need to be shared or split and then leaving the things that don't get finished when they don't get finished and picking yeah. them back up so Um, And I think, you know, and it's not just the job sharing people that do that, too. I mean, full time employees do that as well. And 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 particularly in the pandemic, I you know, I think everybody has seen that your your work life environment has just blended all together. And so while you're at home and you're also working, you know, you might start at five o'clock one morning and just really get busy And then by the the next thing you know, it's six o'clock in the evening and you have put in 12 hours worth of work. So really recognizing that and being mindful to take time away from work and to create that balance, I think is really important.
0: Yeah, I can totally agree. You can see I am zooming in from my bedroom, so I work where I sleep. Um, But I think you also bring up a good point. I think that this is kind of a cautionary tale, that job sharing isn't meant um, for kind of two people to take on two full-time jobs, right? It's kind of not a cop-out in that sense. It really is, I think, dependent on your organization, the needs of your organization, um, and the candidates that you get, right? So to say that uh, if you have two full-time, like, workloads, you can't really have two people working part-time to fill in that work um, and kind of expect to get those same kind of uh, outcomes. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I think another question that's maybe on listeners' mind is exactly how did you pay for this? Um, I can imagine that two employees may equate to a larger amount of financial um, burdens, or maybe financial salaries, I should say.
1: Well, it does because you have to like keep in mind the benefit side of it. So, anytime you know whether it's a half-time employee, full-time employee, mm-hmm. that additional cost of, of benefits. Um, human resources, whatever, you know, other investments that we make as employers into our employees, um, you do create kind of a dual situation there. Again, you know, we went into this very openly with with these two individuals to talk about, um, you know, what that looked like as far as the amount of of paid time off and mm. uh, and the level of benefits that they might be receiving as half-time employees versus full-time employees um, and so while again while i felt like we were getting probably we, the organization was getting probably the best um, out of these out of this situation it came at a time when these two people were looking for ways back into the working world, right? Mm -hmm. So um, oftentimes, even if you're doing um, your own like contract work, or, um, you know, maybe a passion project, or you're a writer, or you're, you know, kind of supplementing um, your, your family's income or your income, while you're raising a family or doing whatever it is you may do, sometimes it's hard to kind of break back into that full working um, environment. And so for these two people, it came at a point when they were really looking to get back into the game, but needed kind of a stepping stone to kind of have an opportunity again, have an opportunity. That's the biggest thing that um, I think we as employers can do for, for individuals out there. There's so much talent in the world that if you if you get creative, you can really access some incredible potential and provide them opportunity while at the same time giving the organization something that's maybe more of a benefit than you might have thought in the beginning. Um, so I think that's the main thing is just, you know, we we talked about it ahead of time. We understood what the financial commitment was going to be. But we also felt like, again, because these these people were coming in with such great expertise and experience, we were getting more than than maybe the dollars that were being paid out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally understandable. And thank you for your honesty there. Um, I think a lot of people who may be Uh, wanting to dip their toe into the idea of maybe two part-time people fulfilling one role um, was also thinking about that, right? How do I kind of pitch this as um, a recruiter or an HR person to um, my C-suite staff, my executive leadership on, is this really a good idea? Can we really afford to do this? Um, So thank you again for your honesty there.
1: Well, and that's another one of mine, just a little bit of a, of one of my things, I think having come from the private sector into nonprofit um, you know, this, this kind of accepted stance that, oh, well, it's nonprofit. You know, mm-hmm. we don't make as much as the private sector. You know, we don't pay as well as the private sector. I I just really feel like we're doing ourselves a disservice there. I think that, you know, talented people um, should be rewarded for their work and compensated regardless if you're in private or non nonprofit or for-profit businesses. And so while... It can be more expensive to the organization. Again, the benefits are so much greater um, because of that expertise that these people bring to the table. So, you know, I'm a big, I am a big supporter of of, you know, not divvying up the pie to more and more people, but expanding the pie so that there's more for everyone. Mm. I love that analogy. (laughs) Well, it wasn't mine. I have to get Dan Pelota, you know, credit for that. So, um, Mm -hmm. but it was an analogy that I could, you can easily pick up on because you can understand if the pie only stays so big, you can only give out so many pieces of that pie. But if the pie gets bigger, then everybody's individual piece can get bigger, including the organization as a whole.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, wow. (laughs) You blew my mind with that one. (laughs) Um, So I think we touched on a lot of different things, right? Um, A lot of job sharing and kind of what that means and how organizations could um, even start to think about whether that's an option for them, as well as how your organization, a very lean and small organization, has kind of, um, one, already set the boundaries or kind of had the stepping stones for remote work and how you were able to really embrace that 100%. So do you have any like tips or tricks that organizations who are completely remote right now or um, are kind of struggling to really embrace the remote world can implement into their organization tomorrow, next week, next
1: month, next year, which is right on the horizon? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, taking advantage of technology, obviously, but doing it in a smart way so mm-hmm. that you're not covering yourself up with too t- too much technology. I think also, you know, that the teams and I try to do this even, you know, like I said, our organization is fairly small. We're a staff of 10. but. Even just having those personal one on ones, mm-hmm. even if it's not about the business, but just checking on people. Um, that was something at the beginning of the pandemic that I felt really um, strongly about. I didn't want anyone to be nervous and worried about the work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to, to over communicate that. Regardless of what happens, we're here to do the best that we can for the entire organization, every single individual in the organization. So trying to give people peace of mind Mm -hmm. at the same time, using the technology to its best you know, capability and whether that's a sauna or chat or zoom or whatever it is. And, and kind of having some rules around that too, you know, like, I think it's important. Like if you want cameras on, you need to say, I want to see your face. You know, Mm -hmm. it's important for me um, to see you and not just have your name or picture up there, just stuff like that. Um, I think it's the little things, the more personal things during this time. And as we kind of get back to normal to just, um, probably over communicate and just create reassurance.
0: Yeah, and I love that point that you touch on to kind of set expectations when it comes to remote learning,
1: right? Like, or not remote learning, remote yeah. working. <laughs> well, um, remote learning. I mean, we're dealing with that. That we have to talk with our coaches all the time that are that are trying to talk, teach PE, physical education, on a Zoom call. So,
0: yeah, my brother does that, and he just goes and walks around the block. <laughs> until it's time for him to come back. Um, So definitely remote learning in its own sense here, but really setting those boundaries, those expectations for what you want your employees to do, right? Like you mentioned, whether it's turning on your camera or um, we use Slack here. So we're always encouraging each other to set statuses if you're away for more than 15 minutes, um, like getting coffee or maybe going for a walk or anything like that. Um, So especially if you are kind of struggling with communicating to your employees or your employer or You know, just having some difficulty around transparency, autonomy, maybe having, especially as we kind of move into 2021, or if this is released in 2021, um, resetting, you know, and refining exactly how we're uh, expecting our people to work.
1: Right. Because the next thing we're going to face is how do we bring people back to the work environment? Exactly. And, you know, I think that our, our group is very comfortable working remotely and, you know, and actually I can see areas where it's been actually more productive than the office environment. And so now we have to be thoughtful on the other side of this to say, you know, we want that office environment, two and how do we do that in a way that that meets people where they are and provides again that best environment that you want that that maintains the culture that that fosters the culture that you're trying to create exactly exactly well thank you so much
0: Cami. this has been really insightful Um, and hopefully people can take away uh, a couple tidbits to implement into their organization I hope so too but we're not done yet. We're going to move on to my favorite part. (laughs) If you listen to the podcast, you know that the rapid fire round is always my favorite part of any podcast episode. So I have just about 10 questions um, to ask you just to get to know a little bit more about you, your work um, and your past. So uh, 30 seconds or less to answer, but no pressure there uh, whatsoever. Um, But are you ready to get started?
1: I'm ready. Awesome.
0: My first question, what is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year?
1: I would go to Asana. It has been the biggest game changer for us this year, I think. And something that we were investigating, but we've really adopted it.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And what's coming in the next year that has you most excited? So I'm excited about seeing people in real life again. I'm excited about people coming back to the office, but I'm more excited about seeing kids in action again Mm -hmm. together back in that school environment and where we can actually interact with kids, where we can go out and see how they're doing and check in with them and give them a high five and support them on their learning journey and experience.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm sure a lot of people are waiting (laughs) on that moment for sure. Are there any
1: tech issues that you're battling with right now? I would say always tech issues that we're battling. Um, So we moved actually to a digital um, platform this last year so that we're delivering our our program a little bit differently. We've Mm -hmm. added a mobile application, a web-based application that allows our coaches to digitally track kids um, Mm -hmm. on their laps and their their miles. And so now we're just, um, you know, we're continuing to try to learn from that, grow that, and meet the demands of our kids and coaches and now parents in this remote learning environment. So technology is always, um, you know, it's always like, what do we need? How much is it going to cost? And how do we get there in in the best way for everyone?
0: Right, right. Can you talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now?
1: Uh, I would say that I was probably pretty guilty of that work-life balance um, issue that I kind of touched on earlier. You know, um, I think that um, allowing myself to burn out was probably um, something that I faced that I I wish I had handled a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I've learned to do better is – is to set realistic goals and objectives, and then kind of uh, work my way through mm-hmm. getting to those goals and objectives.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good one, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that right now, um, especially as we're in the midst of a pandemic. Do you think NGOs
1: can successfully go out of business? That's a, I, this is an an interesting, interesting question, and one that I have actually thought about. Um, so, yes. I do. And I honestly, um, in my very short experience in a nonprofit leadership position, I think that there are so many opportunities out there for what we in the for profit world would call mergers and acquisitions. And mm-hmm. um, I am shocked to know that there's so much competition in nonprofits. And I think that we could do a lot more together, collaborating and consolidating than we've done in the past.
0: Yeah, I always love that answer because it's just, it's not necessarily going out of business. It's more about joining forces, right? Exactly. Which I love. Let's say you had a hot tub time machine to go back to the beginning of your work. What advice would you
1: give yourself? So this is a hard one. I mean, because you say the beginning of your work, you know, I always tell people, I feel like I started working when I was like 12 years old because I just (laughs) love I loved having jobs, um, so, but I guess I would say that the advice I would give myself is um, is to trust myself more. Um, I think often, you know, young people are just starting out in, in your career. Um, you're so concerned about um, meeting goals and objectives that are set for you that um, you can get pulled or swayed in one way or another and whether that's you know um, I don't even know if that's you know getting in with a the wrong mindset or you know just thinking that maybe a culture of an organization is acceptable and and not questioning it enough um, I feel like um, often we we kind of, allow ourselves to be molded by the organizations that we end up working for instead of bringing ourselves into these organizations. So that's what I would say. If I were to give myself advice is to trust myself more and to question things regardless of, you know, that it was the very beginning of my career.
0: Yeah, I love that because that's so true, right? Like organizations bring on younger people to kind of bring fresh ideas and new perspective, right? But what kind of ends up happening is those fresh perspectives and new ideas maybe kind of move to the background as you kind of try to push the current company's mission and ideas forward. Um, That's really powerful. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. What's something you think
1: you or your organization should stop doing? Oh, I know. So we should... um... We should stop jumping from strategy to strategy without giving ourselves enough time to understand if it's working or failing. Mm. So, I we all are um, kind of of the mindset that we're lean and that we're you know we're going to do an MVP and we're going to test quickly and we're going to iterate. But I think a lot of times especially like on the development strategy side, that um, it takes more time than what we're giving it. And so if if we're confident in the strategy that we develop, then we should be confident in giving ourselves enough time to make see if the strategy really works.
0: Yeah, definitely. I find that conundrum working in ads all the time. It's like, should we keep it going? Should we stop it? Um, especially when money's on the line, right? You don't want right. to... Spent all this money and nothing great comes from it. Um, So I totally understand you there. Let's also say you had a Harry Potter wand for the industry. What would it do?
1: Oh, it would be all about that. We call it coopetition instead of competition. Mm -hmm. So cooperating with one another instead of competing against one another. So Harry Potter wand to create collaborations and cooperation and to do more together than we can do independently. Mm
0: -hmm. I love that cooperation or co-opetition. co-opetition. There we go. <laughs> What's your favorite question to ask an organization or board member?
1: <sighs> My favorite question to ask an organization. Uh, I would I'm gonna stick with where I am on on collaborating is mm-hmm. what works? What have you seen? work in a collaborative or a cooperate a, a compromise or cooperation type of environment. And then the other thing I think we we often ask our board members, which I think is a good question, is what are we missing? Mm-hmm. So, you know, our board members are amazing. They bring so many different perspectives to the table. They aren't involved in the in the day-to-day so much of what's going on, partic- you know at at marathon kids but to lay things out for them and then say, what did we miss? Mm-hmm. Where? Are, what are we not thinking about mm-hmm. um, is a good way to kind of elicit great conversation and new ideas.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I love that question uh,
1: or answer. How did you get started in the social impact space? Um, so honestly, you know, I, again, I, I was in the, in the private sector um, for years and years. And it, it, I just was fortunate enough to be able to take some time to reflect mm-hmm. on where I was kind of late in my career to say, is this really what I want to do mm-hmm. or is there something else? And I think that, you know, I have to give, give credit probably to my mom who always, you know, taught us to give back and to serve and, Mm -hmm. um, and whether that was with your, your time or your talent or your treasure, um, that it just was a really important part of, of who we are. So, um, I would say that it it would started early from a personal perspective and then just got lucky that, Mm -hmm. that an opportunity presented itself at a point in time that I was willing to make a change.
0: Yeah. Shout out to mom. They always know best. (laughs) Uh, Just two more questions um, and probably my favorite too. What's a piece of advice that your parents gave you that
1: you did or did not follow? I would say probably (laughs) I'm one of six kids. Mm -hmm. And so um, I always tell my parents that the greatest thing that they um, gave us was um, the ability to make our own decisions Mm -hmm. And to, um, to really follow, you know, those passions. Um, And, and again, to trust that to trust, trust where you were headed. So I think that my parents um, really taught us to treat every individual with respect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, follow the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And really, if you just keep that and in your, as your primary focus, um, you might still make mistakes, but you're not going to go wrong.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
1: Um, are you the oldest, the youngest, the middle? So I'm actually the second oldest and I have one older brother and then I have, um, four younger sisters. So I'm the oldest sister. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's an important distinction. (laughs) Definitely. So I kind of feel like I'm the oldest.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly why it's important to
1: distinguish.
0: Right. Um, And my final question, what's a piece of advice that you would give college grads
1: looking to enter the social impact sector? So I would go back to what I said earlier about um, understanding your worth, right? So again, just because you're going into nonprofit work or social impact, um, or social responsibility, carry that worth with you and know that your, um, your, your brilliance and your, your smarts and what you've learned and the experiences that you've had are valuable and, um, and don't sell yourself short.
0: Yeah, definitely. So to all the college grads listening or young professionals, know your worth. Um, Cause you're worth a lot for sure. Um, well, that's the end of my rapid fire. Thank you so much. Um, this was really great and fun. It was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so great. That really concludes our podcast. Where can people find you?
1: So just go to our website. It's marathonkids.org, and you can really find everything there. So feel free to reach out. Yeah, awesome.
0: And thank you so much again, Cami, for coming on the show. Um, I think really insightful conversation. Thank
1: you so much. It was a lot of fun.
2: This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to GregThomasMusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you.